Good morning. Good morning to everyone online. Good morning to Farmington Hills. I know Pastor Scott is out there today. So good morning to Pastor Scott, Pastor Sean, and the Farmington Hills crew. Today, we kick off a new series in the book of Ecclesiastes. And before I embark in a new series at the church, I'd like to spend some time in that book myself devotionally. So I've been doing that for the past several months. And as I have done that, I can say this, man, Solomon can be a little tough to read sometimes. He, he's tough. The book, of, the, the book of Ecclesiastes can be a little tough. The theologian Eugene Peterson said, the book of Ecclesiastes isn't a nourishing meal per se, but it's more like a bath. It's meant to confront us and clean us and lead us to repentance. So I just want to say beforehand, as we dive into the book of Ecclesiastes for the next eight weeks together, stick with me, stick with our team as we, we go through this book. It, it can be challenging, but it's challenging in a good way. It's challenging in a loving way. In July 30th, the content is going to be a little bit more mature that day as we dive into the topics of sexual addiction as Solomon experienced that. So I just want to give a heads up to parents. We have to be true to the scriptures and hold to integrity with the scriptures. And that's what the scriptures speak about as it relates to some of Solomon's life. So I just want to give a heads up for that. But before we go any further, let's pray. Uh, Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name. God, thanking you for your word, thanking you for the opportunity to gather and worship once again. It's not just another Sunday, Lord, this is the day that you have made, so we will rejoice and be glad in it. God, thank you for allowing us to sit under your word. I pray that you would move me out of the way. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase and be made much of in the lives of your people. God, allow us to see the truth and the love and the reality of the book of Ecclesiastes as we spend time in this book for the next eight weeks together. God, is in your son, Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. What happened to Solomon? What happened to him? What, what happened to Solomon, the king of Israel, the wealthiest man to have ever lived, the wisest man to have ever lived. He's saying things like, nothing matters anymore. Everything is meaningless. Family, work, everything is meaningless. Has anybody checked on Solomon lately? What's, what's happening with Solomon? He's saying things like, there's nothing new. You try to show him a new idea. He says, there's nothing new. There's nothing special. Everything has been done before. What happened to Solomon? Jewish scholars say that in Solomon's younger days, he wrote the book Song of Songs, which is about covenantal love and intimacy and marriage. It's a little bit more upbeat, a little bit more hopeful, the Song of Songs. In the middle of his life, he wrote the book of Proverbs, which in many ways is the voice of a father speaking to a son, giving him practical wisdom for life. But towards the end of his life, his tone changes. There's a tone of regret. There's a cynical attitude. And the joy just isn't there anymore. What happened to Solomon? As Solomon got older, his heart began to drift 
away from God. He began to abandon the truth that he grew up learning. And he began to do things that he could have never imagined himself doing. And we see this in 1 Kings as it gives us a little bio on Solomon. It says, so Solomon did what the Lord considered evil. He did not wholeheartedly follow the Lord as his father David had done. And then Solomon had built an illegal worship site on the hill east of Jerusalem for Chemosh, the disgusting idol of Moab, and for Molech, the disgusting idol of the Ammonites. It's interesting here that these idols are described as disgusting. They're described as disgusting. I want to explain one of these, Molech. Molech worshipers practice child sacrifice. The idol of Moloch was a statue. I think we have a drawing, an illustration of what the idol of Moloch would have looked like. It would have the body of a man and the head of a bull. There was an inner chamber inside of a, of a statue of Moloch. Parents who were seeking financial prosperity would sacrifice their first child in, their cha- in that fiery chamber through a process called passing through the fire. Solomon built these worship sites where child sacrifice took place. What happened to Solomon? He wasn't raised like this. This this wasn't the tradition that he grew up being taught. But somehow, some way, his heart has drifted. Solomon's heart drifted away from the faith of his fathers. What happened to Solomon? And how do we make sure that it doesn't happen to us? And what happened to Solomon? And and we have to ask ourselves the reflective question of, has this happened to us? Has this happened to me? The drift is real. It is very easy to drift. It is very natural for our affections to drift away from God and drift towards other things. I heard someone say that every great fall comes from a hundred little small decisions. Over time, we can drift. It's, It's easy to drift. Our affections get drawn to other things. We can drift because of pain. We experience so much pain that our heart and our attention begins to drift towards the pain and the trials and the tribulations that we're experiencing. So pain can cause us to drift away from God. We can't focus on God because we're so concentrated on our pain. Or pleasure can cause us to drift. Things are going well. The bank account is full. Work is great. So I don't really feel as if I need God as much, and we can drift into prayerlessness, we can drift into independence, and that's why worship is so important. That's why we gather here. Worship realigns our priorities, and it reminds us of what is true. When the pain tries to get us to drift, worship reminds us that God is in control, that he's sovereign, that he's on the throne. When the pleasure 
tries to get us to drift. Worship reminds us to give God the glory for the good things in our lives, that we're not the architect of our lives, that God is, that God is good. And that's why we need fellowship for people to nudge us in the faith and align us back to what is true because because we're human, fallen creatures, the reality is we drift. So we can't really look down our nose at Solomon so much, but we have to look in the mirror at Solomon and empathize with him because we all know what it's like to drift. And let's see how this drifting has impacted Solomon. Let's check on our buddy. He says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. This is coming from a man who has everything so to speak. He has all of the things that people pursue to make themselves happy. And because we want to be happy, we can drift towards things that we think will make us happy. But if we're being honest, we all know what it feels like to be in a room full of things and people that should make us happy, but they're not making us happy. Then we probably feel better about not being happy, like I should be happy because I have these things and I have these people, but for some reason the joy isn't there. And God says to us, that's because I want to be your joy. I want to be that which lights you up and makes you happy and gives you everlasting joy. And the reason that those things aren't bringing you the joy that you want is because they can't. They aren't bringing you the joy that you expected them to bring because because they, they can't. Solomon continues. He says, he says, everything is meaningless. That word meaningless means empty, meaningless, a vapor. The word, the word meaningless in the Hebrew, habel, means vapor. Solomon has come to the conclusion that things don't last. Like people leave experiences leave, chewing gum stops being sweet, and you can't hold on to it for long because it is a vapor. And that's the realization that Solomon has come to after a life full of acquiring so many things, things that in theory should have made him happy and gave him everlasting joy. The comedian Jim Carrey shared a similar sentiment. This is Jim Carrey, Mr. Ace Ventura, The Mask, you know him. He says, I wish people could realize all their dreams and wealth and fame so that they could see that it is not where you're going to find your sense of completion. He says, I, I wish people could experience it. I wish they could have it, just get a little taste of it so they can see that this isn't this isn't going to bring you the fulfillment and the completion that you think it's going to bring. Jim Carrey would echo Solomon that some of this stuff is meaningless. And I think we have to be careful and realize that this is not a rich person's issue. We can, we can scratch this off as, well, people get wealthy and their hearts drift away from God and that's what happened to Solomon and that's what happened to Jim Carrey. No, 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 it's not a wealthy person's issue. Some people make their idols out of gold and some people make their idols out of plastic. 
The devil doesn't care which one you use as long as he can get you to drift away from God. The issue becomes when we take ordinary things and make them God things. Idolatry occurs when we expect normal things to do God things, just normal things. But a job, a job is just a job. It can't be the sense of your security and identity. Sex was created for intimacy. It wasn't created to be broadcast over the internet, over cell phone devices. It wasn't created for that. Your spouse is just a spouse. They forget things. They don't always have the perfect answer. They're just human. Can you, can you imagine going on a first date with someone and them sitting across from you and saying to you, this is what I'm looking for in a spouse. I need you to be the utter source of my identity. I need you to be the utter source of my purpose in life. And I'm going to find all of my being and who I am in you and who you are. You'd be like, check, please. <laughs> we're going, we're leaving this restaurant in two separate cars. Get me an Uber. I'm out of here. You wouldn't sign up for that. Or can you imagine interviewing someone for a job and them saying, hey, I'm looking for something to fulfill my ego and be all about me. And maybe I can use it to deal with some of my issues and give me a bunch of hours so I don't have to see my family or deal with any of my personal baggage and maybe it can create an environment too where I can, it can be an outlet for some of my toxic ways. Can you sign me up for that? No, no, we don't say that, but we can, we can, we can drift into that and it happens. Let's, let's check on our buddy Solomon. He says, what do people gain from all their hard work under the sun. He's looking back on a lifetime of work and he's saying, what's the point? What's the point? He's looking back after a couple of weeks, what's the point of this? What, are, what do I gain from this? And we're like, calm down, Solomon. Aren't you drawing your social security? Don't you got your pension? What do you mean? He, he's unfulfilled. And the reason for this unfulfilled perspective is because of these three words right here, under the sun. That's the cause of, of this, this desperation. That's the cause of this pain. Those three little words, under the sun. Because it has to do with Solomon's perspective. He's viewing things from a very earthly perspective. So all Solomon is focused on is life under the sun. All he sees is what he sees around him. He's not viewing things from a spiritual perspective, from a heavenly perspective. God is really not in the equation. He's just going from what he sees. And as he focuses on life under the sun, he, he becomes very depressed he loses hope. He becomes very cynical because he's only focused on life here. And under the sun perspective can wear us out and drain us. I just want to look at some of the ways that we can be affected by under the sun perspective. One of the ways is fear. When it's just me 
against the world, when it's just me, against all of the things that the world can bring at me, I can become very fearful when it's just all of these chaotic events happening and God's not a factor in it. Yes, that can lead towards great fear. It can also lead towards cynicism when, you, when God is not a factor and it's just you and your resources and the resources in the world. It can lead towards cynicism. Cynicism is when you give up on the goodwill of other people. You come to the conclusion that everybody's up to something. Everybody has an agenda. That side is up to something. That side is up to something. And before you know it, you can lock in and lose all hope and faith that any good can come out of anyone. Or skepticism, you just start doubting. You just start doubting. Skepticism is doubt. Cynicism is just straight up unbelief. It's, I don't believe it. Even if I see the evidence, I, I don't believe it. And it happens when you see so much. After you've seen the cycle play out so many times, you come to the conclusion, yeah, something bad is going to happen. The other shoe is going to drop. They're going to show their true colors eventually because we've seen so many rotations and so many cycles of the things happening. One could argue that this is an, this is an older person thing, right? Because you've seen so much, you become cynical, but the reality is we're, we're seeing this more and more in younger generations who are seeing so much at a young age. You got a young generation that is seeing more by the age of 12 than we see, that we've seen by the age of 22. They're just seeing more, and that's what leads to that cynicism and that fear and that sense of being jaded. So much exposure to life under the sun, and the next generation is seeing so much exposure to so much under the sun. So we have a very jaded and cynical generation. By the time, by the time I was 18, and I can't blame them, by the time I was 18, I had maybe heard about two, maybe three, school shootings. Heard about Columbine maybe another one or two by the time I was 18. This generation is hearing about three or four shootings every month. And then they see the cycle, the shooting happens. Then we mourn, and then we fight about it. They see the adults fighting about it. Then another shooting happens, and then we mourn. And then the adults fight about it, and they don't change anything. And then another shooting happens, and then we mourn. And then we're surprised when kids start saying things like, I don't, I don't want to hear your thoughts and prayers. It's because they've become so cynical and they've seen the cycle over and over and over again. Life under the sun, just focusing on this cycle, it can, it can wear us out. And Solomon had begun to focus on the cycle under the sun so much that he had become jaded himself. Here goes our friend Solomon. He says, generations come along and generations go, but the earth remains forever. He said, I've seen all the generations. I've seen the boomers. I've seen the builders. I've seen the millennials, the Gen Z. They come and they go. The sun rises and the sun sets. And he's starting to see this cycle in nature. He, he, he sees this cycle of sin and death in the world, but he also sees a cycle a, mu a mundane cycle in nature. The sun rises, the sun sets, 
and hurries back to where it rises. He's just cynical at this point in his life. You say, Solomon, don't you see the beautiful sunset today? Don't you see the beautiful? Ah, the sun rises, the sun sets, it's going back to where it came from. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. And round and round and round it goes, ever returning to its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, guess what? There they return again. He, his eyes are set on this cycle under the sun, the cycle of sin and death, the mundane cycle of nature. And he's just sitting back watching it go and go. And this under the sun perspective has worn him out. And he's come to the conclusion that there's nothing new. Nothing, nothing new happens around here. Nothing, nothing ever changes around here. And he says nobody's really special. Let's, let's look at what he, what, he said, <laughs> what he says next. He says, what has been will be again. What has been done, guess what? It will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? Solomon will say, get that out of here. That's not new. Let's continue. It was here long ago. It was here before our time. This is pretty hard. This is, it's humbling. It's pretty, pretty hard. He says, no one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Gosh, Solomon. He's essentially saying no one will be remembered regardless of how significant they think they are. And this has never been more true. Today's internet viral sensation will be replaced by tomorrow's internet viral sensation. Today's American Idol will be replaced by next year's American Idol. Michael Jordan has been replaced by LeBron James within a generation. Now, I don't agree with that. I still think Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball. But this generation thinks that LeBron's, a younger generation thinks that LeBron is better than Jordan. Records get broken, right? He says you won't be remembered. And let's be honest, how many of you have ever forgot someone's name? You know, you know how that goes. You forget their name, <laughs> and then you're like, dang, I don't want to, I don't want to give it off that I've forgotten their name, and you go on and on and on. But don't, don't, don't worry about that. You forget people's names, and People forget our names too. And Solomon is saying, humble yourself. There's nothing new under the sun. People are forgotten and it's just tough. And so this is, this is his perspective of life because he's looking at life from an earthly perspective. He's just looking at things from where they are without God really being factored. Solomon is simply trying to let us know that in this fallen world, in this fallen world, apart from God, all is meaningless. That's what he's really trying to get us to see. And apart from God, in this fallen world, there's, a, there's an ongoing cycle of sin and death. And we all watch it play out, this ongoing cycle of sin and death. Another 
shooting, another pandemic, another generation of poverty, another generation of violence. And it can seem like this goes on and on. And then it can get mundane. I wake up, go to work, go home. Wake up, go to work, go home. Wake up, get the kids ready, put the kids to sleep. Get the kids ready, put the kids to sleep. You can get into very, very dysfunctional cycles. He hits me. He says he's sorry. He hits me. He says he's sorry. He hits me. He says he's sorry. And these cycles can appear to go on forever and ever. And Solomon says, I've seen it. But God... But God does something new. God does something new. God sends his son Jesus to break this endless cycle of sin and death. And Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the God-man, says this cycle of sin and death stops with me. He says it stops with me. He does something new. He lives a sinless life. No one had ever done that. He breaks that cycle of sin and death. And then he dies for the sins of the world. He says this cycle of sin and death stops with me. And he begins to do, he begins to do a new thing. He says, I'm reversing this. I'm doing the work of reversing this cycle of sin and death. And I'm doing something new. When a person comes to me and repents of their sin, I wipe away their sins and I give them new life and I give them new purpose. And I'm building this group of people, this new people called the church. And I'm going to be the first that resurrects, but I'm going to resurrect more and I'm going to give them new bodies. Then I'm going to prepare a new home for them in the new heavens, in the new earth. And they're going to sing new songs. I am doing an absolute new thing. Jesus comes and he reverses. He reverses this endless cycle of sin and death. The prophet Isaiah says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness. I'm I'm making streams in the wasteland. The book of Revelation says, behold, he who sits on the throne says, I am making all things new. In Corinthians, Paul says, he who is in Christ has become a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Jesus does a new thing under the sun. And we have to look at life above the sun to see the truth and the power in this. Only Jesus has the power to break old cycles and introduce new beginnings. 
So Solomon, you're right in the sense that under the sun, apart from Jesus, all is meaningless. There is an empty, endless cycle of sin and death apart from the king of kings. But at the cross, we are confronted with our meaninglessness. We are confronted. Our sin is confronted. And Jesus offers an invitation. He says, let me give you new life. Let me give you new beginnings. And if you have drifted, come back to me. I will give you the true life that you're looking for in those other things that you have drifted after. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your matchless and mighty son, Jesus' name. God, confessing that our hearts are idol factories and they make things mean stuff that they're not supposed to mean. We make gods out of things that are not gods. God, help us to drop those idols. God, show us where we have drifted. And Heavenly Father, steer us to you, the source of our true joy and our true purpose. God, we thank you and we love you. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.